Welcome to chapter five of How to Be an Anti-Racist. This is episode five of the How to Be Anti-Racist series on the hashtag Call the Scene podcast. I want to begin by, again, asking if or giving you, um, letting you know if you want to um, share any questions, comments, concerns, you can do that at podcast at hashtag Call the Scene.com. Um, again, I want to start by just saying something um, Doing this is very uncomfortable for me. I do not like reading aloud. I don't know if it's an undiagnosed um, like um, learning disorder or something. Sometimes I get my letters and numbers mixed up. So I really am uncomfortable reading out loud. When I'm reading to myself, um, I'm fine. But reading out loud, I become very uncomfortable. And I've, it's really been a challenge for me to do this podcast because I know I stumble over words. I mispronounce words. Um, but I've decided to do it anyway without many edits, just because I'm human. And um, this is my lived experience. And I hope that I'm able to demonstrate, be a model of the grace we need to give, particularly to people from marginalized, underrepresented communities who um, put themselves out there, um, who make themselves vulnerable in order to um, positively impact our community. So um, moving forward, just know that I will stumble over words. I will mispronounce things. I um, will forget how to say something. Um, And I'm going to be okay with that. I just had to, I guess that's my learning for chapter five is, you know what? I'm okay with that. And um, I'm not going to be hesitant in doing these podcasts anymore. I'm just going to read. I'm going to stumble, but I'm going to be me. So uh, I wanted to just get that out of the way because that was a, kind of an aha moment that I have because you know, a producer have been talking about this and I just really don't like reading aloud, but it is what it is. And also a lesson for doing um, recorded sessions, do not drink carbonated water before <laughs> you do this because you will have gas, you will have belching and, and whatnot. So, okay. So <laughs> it's probably a little too much information, but i felt it was to add a little levity to the conversation before we get started, because this is a pretty heavy one for me. So this is ethnicity. And so we start with the definitions as usual. Ethnic racism, a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to inequalities between racialized ethnic groups and are substantiated by racist ideas about racialized ethnic groups. Ethnic anti-racism, a powerful full collection of anti-racist policies that lead to equality between racialized ethnic groups and are substantiated by anti-racist ideas about racialized ethnic groups. And so he talks about, he starts his chapter talking about O.J. Simpson trial. And I'm going to tell you, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm new to this language. I've had this lived experience, but Um, It's only recently that many of us, due to social media, have been able to put names to things or experiences. And and so um, when he talks about O.J. Simpson, he says, I didn't really care. Um, I wanted O.J. to run free. Because some of his parents, they did not think O.J. was innocent of the murder any more than they thought he was innocent of selling out his people. But they knew that the, the criminal justice system was guilty, too. And I wrote in the margin... 
for once a black person had enough power and privilege to get away with something. And that's all I think I remember at the time. I, I, I did not, I was young enough that I didn't connect to the, 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 the physical abuse that he um, um, alleged to have um, for his wife, his, you know, any of that. Only thing I thought about even at that young age was a white, a black man getting away with, things that I knew that white people had been getting away with forever. And this, as they say, this came after the Rodney King hearing. Um, and then after um, this incident, you had the um, Haitian immigrant who was um, sodomized in police custody. And, and, um, and so it said, and the last, I'm on, sorry, I'm on page 57. Um, it didn't matter if black people breathe first in the United States or abroad, in the end, racist violence did not differentiate. And I want to make that point there because um, I, and it's going to bring it up again um, because I've said this a lot. I make a very clear distinction between people of color and black people and um, women of color and black women. And here, and I've said this because there is this racist hierarchy, which we'll get into, that a lot of black or African immigrants, um, Caribbean from the continent of Africa have against um, blacks from the US. And I've said it's um, anybody, everybody wants to be anything but black. And I love how he positioned this because I've said this also, for whatever reasons, whatever the racist um, rhetoric, blacks here in the United States or blacks abroad have um, internalized about um, blackness, which is basically, I've said this before, there's, we all have um, uh, a level of internalized black, uh, anti-blackness. When it comes to criminal justice system, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education in the United States, when it comes to any of those things, what they see is a black person. They don't ask us, um, are you Haitian? Are you um, Jamaican? Are you from Senegal? No one asks that. Are you from the United States? It's, we're treated all as black. And this is why, again, I say whiteness because the opposite of blackness is whiteness. And so um, if blackness is not, it's gonna be lumped into a group, then to me, the the equivalent is for whiteness to be lumped into a group. And that's just basically how we uh, relate to whiteness. When I hear people say, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, I'm not white. To me, you're white. I don't go by anything. Like, you look at me, you see black. You, didn't, you don't try to figure out if I'm from where I'm from, it's black. So I've learned that when you present yourself as white, that's what it is until I know something else. And because you present yourself as white and because I believe that whiteness is racist by design and can't be trusted by default, wherever you are, I go by that baseline. So, um, yeah, so that, that it's, it's really interesting to, to read this. And it's also really uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you why, because I recognize that the majority of my followers, um, not followers, I don't even like that term, um, uh, the majority of the hashtag Hodgson community is white people. And to read a chapter that specifically is like basically about blackness makes me really uncomfortable because, um, 
whiteness has always used this lens to um, to evaluate, to to scrutinize us. And so I feel I'm under a lens as I read this. So just know that, yeah, I'm not comfortable, but it is what learning is. And so um, he goes on page 58. He talks about, you know, these jokes he used to uh, make about the two immigrants in his class. And he talks about the movie Coming to America. And he says, ethnic racism is the uh, resurrected script of the slave trader. Um, the origin of ethnic racism can be found in the slave trade supply and demand market for human products. Different enslavers prefer different ethnic groups in Africa, believing they made better slaves and the better, and the better the slaves were considered the better Africans. But what got me about the jokes is until very recently, I can be honest and say, I used to, <laughs> my students love me and we used to crack jokes on each other all the time. And a lot of my jokes um, to my African students um, and my Latino students were racist. Um, they were racist jokes. They were rooted, I see now, in, in racism. Uh, does that mean, again, because of how I define racism, I'm going to do this now because I know somebody's going to question it, how I define racism is the not only race prejudice, but power system. I don't have that. And I wasn't, I didn't even realize it was racist. What I realized it was funny to me. And that goes back to um, um, a live video that I created that, you know, once I know better and once I recognize that to say or do something called this harm to someone else, even um, if I didn't intend it to, then I start rethinking what's funny. So a lot of the things that I used to think is funny, because I used to literally think anything was, 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 could be made into a joke, literally anything. I no longer think that. Um, I no longer believe that everything is up for laughs. So um, that really made me think about that. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, they, the students gave as, gave as good as they got. Um, and so, but it's still, I was like, mm, that didn't feel good when I read that, because I used to do like jokes of, um, I'm not even going to detail you here what they were, but they were racist in nature. They were rooted in um, some of the things we're going to talk about here. And so, um, so on, um, da, 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 da. on page 59, m- my friends and I have been following the old script when it came to ethnic racism, but our motivations weren't the same as the old planters. Under our laughs of Kwame and Akeem was probably some anger at continental Africans. African chiefs were the ones waging war on each other and capturing their own people and selling them. And so he talks about um, how um, there, and you hear it, you hear this, I see this on Twitter a lot. And I see that, and then this is another thing that's funny, and this is why I want to bring your attention to this because white, I see this um, when white people challenge. Um, Racism. I mean, literally challenge racism and, and go into where um, Africans sold each other. So if it was okay with them, they were, uh, why are you talking about it? It's over. And he gets into this and it gets into that group thing because, again, it's not U.S. society and society period is not asking, are you Haitian? Are you Jamaican? Are you Cuban? Or Latin? You know, are you Mexican, Guatemalan, um, Colombian? And, they, and, and and unfortunately, the default is usually you just Mexican. That's just racist. They don't think about Latina or they use the term Hispanic. 
And then for the Blacks, it's just Blacks. You're just all in the thing together. And this was really interesting. It says the idea that African chiefs sold their own people is an anachronistic, that's what, anachronistic memory overlaying our present idea about race into an ethnic past. When European intellectuals created race between the 15th and 18th century, lumping diverse ethnic groups into a monolithic race, it didn't necessarily change the way that people saw themselves. African residents in the 16th and no 17th and 18th century didn't look at the various ethnic groups around them and suddenly see them all as one people or as the same race as African or black. Africans involved in the slave trade did not believe they were selling their own people. They were usually selling people as different as as different to them as the Europeans waiting on the coast. Ordinary people in West Africa, like ordinary people in Western Europe, identified themselves in ethnic terms during the life of the slave trade. It took a long time, perhaps until the 20th century, for race making to cast its pall over the entire globe. So these they weren't they weren't selling their own people. They were selling other people. They weren't the same. Um, he talks about this um, later in the chapter um, when he's talking about hierarchy. But when people say Native Americans, there are different tribes in Native Americans. They don't consider themselves the same. But we've um, our policies have lumped all Native Americans together, and then they've created a hierarchy between that. Then he talks about on page eighty about the policies that have been were put into place to help ease migrant. Um, Throughout the 1990s, the number of immigrants of color in the United States grew due to the combined efforts of the Immigration and Nationalization Act of 1965, the Refugee Act of 1980, and the Immigration Act of 1990. Taking together these bills encouraged family unification, immigration from conflict areas, and the diversity and a diversity visa program that spiked immigration from countries outside of Europe. Um, between 1980 and 19 in 2000, the Latinx um, immigrant population ballooned from 4.5, 4.2 million to 14.1 million. As of 2015, Black immigrants accounted for 8.7 percent of the nas- of the nation's Black population, really tripled their share from 1980. And so, we have to understand when people are saying, "Oh, these immigrants! Oh, these immigrants!" It's only been white immigrants that have been allowed to come in this country freely until um, very recent history. About how, and I don't want to get deep into this because you can read it. And again, I don't feel comfortable just like spilling all of this to you because you're a white audience and I don't need to bear my soul like that to you. So he talks about the differences, how West Indians see African Americans. And then he talks about, um, the on um, page 61, the loosening immigration laws of the 1960s through 1980s were designed to undo the previous generation of immigration laws that limited non white immigration to the United States. Um, in 1965, uh, no, sorry, um, America must be kept American. Pre- President Calvin Coolidge said, and he signed this law. Um, in 1964, which was the Emergency Quota Act and the Immigration Act in 1964. Um, but Coolidge and the congressional supporters determined that only immigrants from East, Northeastern Europe, Europe 
Scandinavia and the British Isles and Germany could keep America, America American, meaning white. Nearly a century later, United States um, Senator Jeff Sessions lamented the growth of, non, of the non-native born population where the numbers reached about as high in 1964, the president and Congress changed the policies and slowed it down significantly. We then assimilated through the 1965 and created really the solid middle class of America with assimilated immigrants. And this, and it was good for America. <laughs> All right. Um, so, I apologize, I forgot I had a question back when I was talking about um, making jokes. So on page 58, I'm gonna go back. I said, um, question uh, assignment number one, have you ever told ethnic jokes? If you have, do you steal? If not, why? So this goes back to the ethnic joke section on um, page 58. Um, have you ever told ethnic jokes? If you have, do you still tell them? And if not, why don't you tell those jokes anymore? And so now we're on page 62, and it talks about, okay, the current administration's throwback to early 20th century immigration policies built on racist ideas of what constitutes an America were meant to roll back the years of immigration that saw America dramatically diversify, including a new diversity within its Black population, which now included Africans and West Indians in addition to the descendants of African slaves. But regardless of where we, they came from, they were all racialized as black. So it didn't matter. They don't, people again, folks don't ask where we're from. We all are put in the same um, thing. The fact is all ethnic groups, once they fall under the gaze and power of race makers become racialized. The racialization serves as core um, mandate of race to create hierarchy of values. Then he goes on to talk about uh, um, Anglo-Saxons that discriminated against Irish Catholics and Jews and, and, and whatnot. And, and even in the Native American population or the indigenous population, they created a hierarchy between uh, there. We, on page 63, we practice ethnic racism. We, we um, express a racist idea about an ethnic group or support a racist policy toward a ethnic group. Ethnic racism, like racism itself, Points, a, points to group behavior instead of policies as the call for the cause for the disparity between groups. And I've had this, so it talks about, she says, people ask you like, where are you from? And I've had people to ask me that several times, particularly when I was younger. So I used to have long pony black, my hair is jet black and I have, used to have two ponytails, long ponytails. And but the texture of my hair, people were like, so what are you made of? Where do you come from? Cause they were like, you can't be all black. Are you, are you back in, you know, are you Indian? And I'm like, um, I could say I know I had some Indian, um, some Native American, some Cherokee in my in my family, but I also have some white because slave owners raped. So I don't know what that is. But the fact that people try, it's, it's like I'm different because I did not meet the standard of what people thought black people look like, and my hair texture was different. It was the, there was always the assumption. It wasn't even an assumption. It was a knowing on their part that there was something different about me. So it was like, what are you, what are you made of? And I love how he goes through this whole thing. I'm from Queens, you know, my parents are from this and, and, um, and whatnot. 
And then he says to be anti, on page 64, to be anti-racist is to view national and and transnational ethnic groups as equal in all of their differences. To be anti-racist is to challenge the racist policies that plague racialized ethnic groups across the world. To be anti-racist is to view the inequities between all racialized ethnic ethnic groups as a problem in a policy. And so on page 66, it says, um, we talk about how can I critique their uh, ethnic racism and ignore my own? He's talk, he talk, just talked about a student and, and, um, and how Blacks from the U.S. have a perception of, um, um, we could just call them Blacks, Blacks from Africa and Blacks from West Indies and, Car- and the Caribbean. And they also have these ideas about us. So it says, how can I critique their ethnic racism and ignore my, my ethnic racism? That is the central double standard of ethnic racism, loving one's position on the ladder above other ethnic groups and hating one's position, position below that of other ethnic groups. It is angrily trashing the racist ideas about one's own group, but happily consuming the racist idea about other ethnic groups. It is failing to recognize that racist ideas, that the racist ideas we consume about others came from the same restaurant and the same cook who use the same ingredients to make different dishes for us all. And so this is where your second um, question comes in, your homework assignment. But just as I'm reading this again, this made me think of some of the, the things that I'm seeing within the LGBTQ community and how many trans individuals feel that the T is silent um, because um, you want to speak up for gay rights and that be the default. Um, and the trans individuals, particularly black trans women are being slaughtered, but you, how do you talk about that? Are you um, see, you're not seeing the value of their lives and their experiences as equal to gay rights? Um, and so, these are things that this system creates for us that, that, that cause us to, to infight. And this is one thing that, I, that this just, I wrote this note. I said, this chapter reminds me how effectively structured racism, excuse me, this chapter reminds me how effectively structured white supremacy is at creating distinctions and distractions among groups, which keeps them, us, divided rather than building coalitions for challenging the systems of oppression. And so um, when I had, I've been doing a lot of talks lately on how to prioritize the most vulnerable in our communities, because when they feel safe and protected, everybody else feels safe and protected. And yet it requires for us to do that. It requires us to step out of our own oppression, step out of our own pain, step out of our own anger, and frustration and, 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 and justified hate and evaluate, am I the most vulnerable in this situation? And it takes a lot of self-discipline to be able to say, I step out of this, but I don't, I don't ignore my own. What I'm doing at the moment is by helping the most vulnerable who, has, who is experiencing far more than what I'm even experiencing, by helping to alleviate their struggle, by helping to, by aligning with them so that they feel safe and secure, I benefit as well. And that's, that's hard because we're all self-serving individuals. 
And the systems of white supremacy are created for us to continue to propagate that, to continue to, to be distracted and seeing each other as, again, these hierarchies. There's somebody above me and then there's, um, but, but I'm above someone else. So I get pride in being above someone and, and else or another group, but I hate being not on the top. And so it requires us to step out of our own and just evaluate. Because in, in any situation, you may be the most vulnerable. But if you're not, it requires us to step out of that, put that aside, and focus on pr- protecting and uplifting the most vulnerable. Because when we go pick back up our burden, it will not be as heavy. And so um, question two on page 66 from what I just read is um, where, what stories and messages have you received growing up about your value as and your ethnic place in that? Where do you fit on the hierarchy and what, what value was that was communicated to you from that? Um, it says ethnically racist ideas like all, uh, I read that already. No, I didn't. Um, cover up the racist policies yielded, um, against black natives and immigrants. Whenever black uh, immigrants compare their economic standing to that of natives, um, um, standings, Whenever they disagree on their success stories, show that anti-racist Americans are overstating racist policies against African Americans. They are threatening, they are tightening the handcuffs of racist policies around their own wrists. And so he talks about just the like ethnic, um, sorry, immigrant on page 67, immigrants and migrants of all races tend to be more resilient and successful when compared with native, the natives of their own countries and the natives of their new countries. Social, sociologists call, call this the migrant um, advantage. With ethnic racism, no one wins except the power, the racist power at the top. As with all racism, that is the entire point. Okay, so that's all I'm going to read there. And so your last homework assignment is number three, because this is a largely white audience, I want you to think about and write down the racist thoughts you have when, you, when you're the only white person in a largely black situation or a largely black and brown situation regarding your safety, intelligence. Um, so you use examples of what, what, what are your thoughts regarding your safety? What are your thoughts regarding your intelligence with the rest of this group? What are your thoughts about what you deserve that kind of thing. Those are the things I want you to ask yourself. And really be honest, is again, you cannot be anti-racist if you're not willing to do the work of examining your own racism. So again, the questions are on page 58. Have you ever told ethnic jokes? If you have, do you still tell them? If not, why? Um, page 66, what are the stories and messages you received growing up regarding your ethnicity and its place in the hierarchical um, value. And then three, because this is a largely white audience, I want you to think about and write down the racist thoughts you have when you're the only white person in a largely black setting. Um, it could be walking down the street. It could be at a conference, which is rare. <laughs> it could be at a club, at a bar, wherever you're not the minor- majority. I want you to think about those, those racist ideas that you may hold. And so the last part, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read a email that came to me from a listener in Germany. And I'm going to leave out this person's name, um, identifying factors. 
And I just want to read to you what they wrote to me. I think this was very um, apropos. So, dear Kim, thank you for creating the How to Be an Anti-Racist Book Club. I really appreciate your work, and I will try to contribute back as soon as I um, back to you as soon as my situation allows. Shortly after listening to the first How to Be an Anti-Racist podcast, I decided to join. So I thought I'd say hello. My name is, and we have met um, in Berlin. Um, and my privileges I'm already aware of are being white in the global North cis hetero able young graduated. I also um, interned at a larger tech company, but stopped working there due to um, unreasonable employee and company policies. I wanted to learn. I want to learn how to be anti-racist because I don't want to harm my black friends and friends of color as well as my partner who is of color. Because after starting listening to your talks and the podcast, Seeing White, that you recommended, I understand that whiteness is racist by design, as you say, and I am not excluded from that. Rather, I have to work actively against this default. I deeply care about the people around me, and I also don't want them to be harmed by others, which I cannot prevent unless I challenge the systems that are in place to hurt the most vulnerable. It's also not, I'm also not here to save any, anybody, but to have a people's back in the liberation struggle. Once after challenging a white person, they said to me, are you a lawyer of black people now? But that was not what I was trying to be. I guess that just shows that I have to improve my arguments and there is so much more I need to understand and learn. Um, and then she put in parentheses, she's also reading Stamp from the Beginning by Dr. Candy at the moment. So this is his, his history book, which really breaks down the economics because people think racism came first. And as we talked about in chapter one, it did not. And this book, um, Stamp from the Beginning by Dr. Candy, and there's a new version coming out that we will um, grab. Um, it's more of a aligned with um, present day, I believe. So it's a retelling, I think that's how they position a retelling of that book. And we will add that to um, the book um, book club when that comes out next year. Um, I also understand that I will not be an expert on anti-racism and should give way for Blacks and Indigenous pe people and people of color to share their experiences. So here's some thoughts from the, your last podcast. And so she's referring, this, this individual is referring to um, episode three of the hashtag called the scene uh, of the How to Be an Anti-Racist podcast. Um, I think in the second podcast you mentioned coming to coming up with the anti-tech agenda after reading the book. I really like this idea. I can imagine that there will be a struggle like the struggle we have when introducing code of conduct to tech events, but it will be needed a needed step forward to challenge the system, define terms and find acceptable and unacceptable ways of working together. On the third podcast, you gave the listeners some homework, which I also think is great. I actually like homework in school as I could concentrate better at home and wrap my head around a topic. These questions that you asked um, really got me thinking, and they are not easy. I thought I'd give you a short overview of my findings, though I apologize if it is not elaborate due to the time constraints. I will definitely continue to think and research about this. So I didn't read these questions and answers. Uh, I didn't read these answers ahead of time because I like to be um, in the moment. Now, mind you what I said at the beginning, 
Sometimes my reading gets a little fumbled. So I have not read these, so just give me grace. So page 38, find three examples of being a of it being a crime of non-blacks, I mean, sorry, non-whites to be themselves and empower themselves. My focus this time is on Germany. Uh, one from the past. Some, uh, uh, something I discovered recently was the harsh human rights violation migrant workers, mostly from Cuba, Vietnam, Mozambique, and Angola faced in um, socialist East Germany before reunion. Uh, when they f founded a family with, when they founded a family with an East German citizen or an, another immigrant worker, they were deported as soon as the news that they would be, they were deported as soon as the news that they would be um, new parents go public without a chance to reunite a state in contact with the parent, with their partner or children. Some of them have reunited only this year. From the, past, from the present, German officials um, in about half of German states have banned wearing religious garments and signs in the public work sector, such as teaching and public authorities. This ban is mostly affecting Muslim women striving to be teachers in Berlin. They even call it the neutrality law, which as we have learned from Ken, Ken, Dr. Kendi, is probably not neutral but rather maintaining the white supremacist German teacher default in school. One in which technology is used to enable the racist crimes of being non-white. Last year, I read a book by Edwin Black on how the Nazi regime used punch card computer machines created and sold by IBM uh, predecessor company, I don't know how to pronounce this, D-E-H-O-M-A-N, as I'm sure for me is Dihameg, but I'm sure that's not it in Germany, to enlist and categorize, especially Jews, but also many others. With the systems in place, they then organized and for the forced labor and killing of these, these people. Um, I think this is a powerful example we need to always keep in mind, especially since these practices are now in use again in East um, Turkestan to control. Um, um, an extinct, I don't know how to pronounce this, is U-Y-G-H-U-R-S. Eurohers? Mm, okay. Um, I apologize for that because that's some, it's an ethnicity or a group of people and I cannot pronounce it. Um, so, um, but it's U-Y-G-H-U-R-S. So then she go. this person goes on to, um, um, and I say she by default, so it doesn't mean it's, it's from a, a female or from a woman. I mean, see, that's a, that has an inclusive language from a woman. So um, number two, um, uh, page 40, do some research and find examples of a time in, that um, between eight, 14, eight, 1410 and 1474 that challenged the assertion that black race of people was lost and living like beasts without the um, custom of re reasonable being. What I am asking myself here is what does lost and not reasonable even mean for the invaders at the time that they found people not being like them, very different and thus inferior. Actually, I'm not sure anymore if that picture is a completely different people's whole, any, any, I'm not sure 
anymore if that picture of completely different people's holds anymore. I've been looking a bit and not yet exact though. It's the peoples and kingdoms that existed in the time at the cost um, time of Ghana. So I came across Akin people um, of the Banu states in 1741. There was a large um, town called Big Hole, um, a trading town where goods like salt, leather, gold, and much more were traded. This must have required a lot of infrastructure and a level organization that probably was on a similar level as European towns at that time. And then um, question three, list five racist ideas, list five racist ideas are being used to justify racist policies and redirect the harm of racist inequalities, inequalities away from the policies and until people, I said, look beyond the obvious, how is technology being used to facilitate racist policies? Um, I will mention three things that I thought about and I'm learning about others too. Germany, number one, Germany has implemented deportations policies for immigrants and asylum seekers as they blame them for their economic, for being economic refugees who just want to make use of the social systems. Um, example, they started deporting Afghani, Afghan, Afghans um, because their country is safe to return. Two, the right-wing party of Germany is using social media to spread um, segregationist ideas, blaming Muslims and other immigrants for problems that have nothing to do with them and pushing through their white supremacist policies. Three, during my thesis, I read a term developing countries in a lot of papers, and I now figured that the term developing country is racist and assimilated bullshit. Ah, that's, ah, that just made my heart sing. We, uh, as we learn from Dr. Kendi, that this means that these countries are are being seen as inferior and also erases the history of colonialism and exploitation most of these countries in the global South face. Instead, it maintains the image of laziness and own fault. Um, I think I have to wrap my head around the uh, last question, but this email is already pretty long. Again, thank you for offering the book club. Looking forward to the next episodes. Warm greeting from Germany. So with that, I'll leave you. And thank you for tuning in. And um, I welcome you to, again, reach out to me with questions, comments, concerns at podcast at hashtag Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcallthescene.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.